Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Blame It on the Aliens. I'm your host, Callie, and I am back. I'm alive and well. For those of you who are wondering, I have not published an episode in a hot minute and I've missed doing it so much, but hopefully this episode makes up for it. I decided that I was going to start reading some no sleep stories. And for those of you who don't know anything about Reddit, basically no sleep is a subreddit where you can publish like scary fiction stories and then glitch in the matrix and most of the other subreddits that I read from are true encounters. I just thought it'd be a fun mix up to do some fiction. And I really, really liked this author. And I don't know, I hope that you guys really enjoy this episode. I've only done one no sleep episode prior to this. And it's the night library, which is really, really good story, in my opinion. So if you haven't listened to that one, go check it out. And I will definitely link the author, um, the, their page and then the links to their stories in my description below. So you can check out their page. And yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you are loving this podcast, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. It makes a world of difference. And with that being said, and without further ado, let's get into it. I never thought my decision to become a night shift bus driver in Chicago would open up a gateway to unending horror. I chose this job simply because it was the only one that fit my schedule after my daytime classes. I was in need of the extra income to make ends meet. But in the city that never sleeps, not every night is an ordinary one. My shift started at 11 in the evening, as it always did. The cold winter night seemed unforgiving and desolate. I found solace in the constant hum of the bus engine, the flickering neon lights, and the occasional late-night traveler seeking shelter inside the warmth of the bus. There was a sense of camaraderie amongst us night owls, a silent understanding that we were in this together. One particular night, as I was driving my usual route, I noticed an old woman waiting at the bus stop near Michigan Avenue. The sight of her was unusual because she was alone, and at that hour, Michigan Avenue was usually empty. The woman wore an old tattered shawl wrapped tightly around her thin frame. Her face was almost hidden under her wide-brimmed hat. I stopped the bus and opened the door for her. She got on, her movement slow and calculated, her eyes obscured by the shadows of her hat never left the ground as she fished out the exact change. And once settled in the seat at the back, she stayed quiet, her gaze fixated outside the window. Over the next few nights, the old woman became irregular. She was always waiting at the same stop, always paid an exact change, and always sat in the back staring out the window. There was something about her that felt unsettling, but I dismissed it as the creepiness that comes with the night. One night, the weather turned bad, snowfall making the road slick and visibility almost zero. I was surprised to find the old woman at her usual stop, undeterred by the harsh weather. Concerned, I asked her where she was going, but she gave no answer. 
She just moved to the back of the bus as usual. The streets were nearly deserted because of the snowstorm, and the snowflakes falling on the windshield created an eerie, rhythmic pattern, the wipers working tirelessly. A thick fog was rolling in, blanketing the city in a chilling hush. That's when it started. The knocking. It was a faint, rhythmic knock coming from the back of the bus, like a code being tapped out. I looked into the rearview mirror, but all I could see was the old woman, her back to me, still staring out the window. The knocking continued, growing louder. It seemed to coincide eerily with my heartbeat, making my skin crawl. I wanted to confront the woman about the knocking, but something held me back. I was alone in a moving bus with her in the middle of a snowstorm. I decided it was safer to ignore it and focus on driving, but the knocking continued like an ominous soundtrack to the snowstorm outside. Then abruptly, the knocking stopped, and a cold silence filled the bus. I let out a breath I didn't know I was holding, but the relief was short-lived. I heard a sound again, not a knock this time, but a voice. A soft, fragile voice, humming an unfamiliar tune. And I glanced in the rearview mirror, and the old woman was still facing the window, but her body was swaying slightly to the rhythm of her song. The tune was hauntingly beautiful, yet filled with sorrow, and it echoed throughout the bus, intertwining with the howling wind outside. The hum became my companion through the deserted city streets. The world outside was a blend of white and gray and the snowfall getting heavier. The melody inside the bus was a sharp contrast, a thread of eerie calm amidst the brewing storm. The song, the snowfall, and the old woman together painted a chilling scene. As I approached the final stop, a sense of dread washed over me. Something about the humming and the solitary woman didn't feel right, and I parked the bus and announced over the speaker, into the line, ma'am. The humming stopped, and there was a silence that felt heavier than the night itself. The bus lights flickered, casting long, monstrous shadows, And when I glanced back, the woman was standing, facing me. The sight of her face sent a chill down my spine. Her eyes were pitch black, devoid of any emotion. Her skin was pale, almost translucent, and stretched tightly over her skeletal features. She smiled, her lips pulling back to reveal teeth that were unnaturally sharp. I know it's the end of the line, dear. I've been waiting for this. Her voice was smooth, but there was an underlying menace to it. I watched in horror as she slowly moved down the aisle, and with each step she took, the temperature inside the bus dropped. Her black eyes never left mine. Fear gripped me, but I was frozen in place like a deer caught in headlights. She stopped in front of me, her inky black eyes boring into mine. She tilted her head and whispered, It's time. I wanted to ask her what she meant, but I was paralyzed with fear. Her smile widened, revealing even more of her sharp teeth. Suddenly, she let out a gut-wrenching scream, so loud it pierced the silence of the night, and her form started to blur and distort, her body fading into a ghostly silhouette, and then she was just gone. The only evidence she was ever there was the ice-cold air and the lingering echo of her scream. 
I sat there, my heart pounding in my chest, trying to process what I had just witnessed. The bus, once a sanctuary against the cold, was now a chilling testament of the horror I had just encountered. I knew then that my nights as a bus driver were forever going to be haunted by this experience. My shift ended with the dawn and the image of this old woman with the inky black eyes remained, I mean, imprinted in my mind. I was relieved when dawn broke, its early light dispersing the shadows and bringing a sense of normalcy. As I navigated the bus back to the depot, my mind was a whirlwind of thoughts. What was that woman? A ghost? A figment of my imagination? The cold reality was I had no answers, only questions that hung in the chill air of the bus. The depot was bustling with activity. In the early morning, shift workers were clocking in, their faces bearing the mark of another day. I parked the bus and walked to the shift manager's office, my mind still wrestling with the experience of the night. Rough night, huh? The manager said, glancing up from his morning paperwork. I nodded, keeping the night's events to myself. Who would believe me? I'd be the laughingstock of the depot, so I shrugged it off and focused on finishing my end-of-shift routine. The following night, I was back on the bus, back on the same route. The fear had subsided, replaced by a gnawing curiosity. I found myself glancing at the clock, anticipating the time that the old woman had boarded the bus. But the night passed uneventfully, the eerie silence of the previous night replaced by the familiar sounds of the city. Weeks turned into months, and the memory of the ghostly encounter began to fade. The woman on the bus became a chilling story to tell, a ghost tale of the night shift bus driver. Yet every time I passed that particular stop, a cold shiver would crawl up my spine, a grim reminder of the terror I'd felt. One night, almost a year after the incident, the unthinkable happened. I was driving my usual route, the bus nearly empty, the city silent under a fresh coat of snow, and as I approached the stop where I picked up the old woman, I saw a figure waiting. My heart pounded in my chest as I pulled over. The bus door hissed open, and a wave of cold air swept in. An old woman climbed aboard, her features hidden under a thick scarf and hood. I felt a chill creep up my spine. I wanted to believe it was a coincidence, but the air inside the bus dropped the way it had the year before. I watched her through the rearview mirror as she took a seat, the same seat as the old woman had. I gripped the steering wheel tight, my knuckles turning white under the pressure, and the journey continued in silence. The silence of anticipation. The silence before a storm. And as I pulled up to the final stop, I glanced back, and the woman sat there unmoving. A sense of deja vu washed over me. Into the line, ma'am, I called out, my voice echoing through the silence of the bus. She stood, turning to face me. The hood fell back, revealing her face. She wasn't the ghostly figure I'd expected, but an ordinary old woman. Her eyes a soft blue, her skin wrinkled with age. Thank you, dear, she said, her voice frail but warm. You have no idea how important that ride was. I let out a breath I didn't know I was holding again, relief washing over me, and she smiled at me, a genuine, kind smile, and then stepped off the bus, disappearing into the snowfall. 
As I drove back to the depot, the bus empty once again, I found myself reflecting on the ghostly encounter. Perhaps it was a reminder that the night shift, the lonely bus route, held stories untold. Stories of the living and maybe, just maybe, of those beyond. And as the city slept, I was there to witness them. A night shift bus driver in the heart of the city. From that day forward, every passenger who stepped on my bus was a story waiting to unfold. A mystery waiting to be unraveled. The city streets weren't just roads. They were pathways to the unknown. And as I drove through the silent city, night after night, I knew I wasn't just a bus driver. I was a silent observer, a keeper of the city's nocturnal tales. And so my story spread among the late night riders. A legend whispered in hushed tones. I became known as the night guardian, the driver who ventured into the unknown every night. And though fear still sends a chill down my spine every time I remember the old woman's black eyes, I wouldn't trade my night shift for anything. After all, where else would I find stories that could send a shiver down the toughest spine? Stories of the haunted hours between the dusk and the dawn. This happened to me and my ex-girlfriend around 20 years ago. At the time of this happening, I didn't have any idea of glitches or related things happening. I was aware of unexplained phenomenon, but that's about the extent of it with them just being interesting stories. We were driving home and it was snowing out. There was already a few inches of snow on the ground streets and it was forecasted to continue for days. Our house was on a hill with a two-lane road, one lane each direction, with room on the side of the street for on-street parking along with sidewalks on both sides. As I was driving, very slowly, carefully, down the hill to approach my driveway, I turned on my left turn signal to cross the oncoming lane, no traffic approaching, and I noticed blue Chevy Tahoe coming up from behind me fairly quickly. I realized it might not be able to slow down enough and could possibly rear-end us. So I told my girlfriend, hold on, we might get hit. I quickly changed my mind and decided to pull onto the right side of the road where there were no cars parked. As I pulled over, I watched as the Tahoe passed by me on the left-hand side, partially into the oncoming lane, with a lady wearing scrubs driving. I looked over at my girlfriend and smiled, saying, we made it. She smiled back at me, and in that moment, we got rear-ended by a blue Tahoe. Our car did a complete 180 and ended up on the sidewalk facing back up the hill. My mind was trying to figure out what happened and how we had just gotten hit. I asked my girlfriend if she was okay, and she said, Yeah, I'm fine. What happened? You said we made it. What hit us? I told her, We did make it. You saw the Tahoe passing us in the other lane, right? She told me, yes, I saw the Tahoe and figured it was another car that hit us. I'm still half-assed in shock and trying to process what exactly happened. 
I told her, I'm going to go check on the Tahoe driver and make sure they're okay. I got out of the car and approached the blue Tahoe that had the same lady, I I think, wearing scrubs driving. Asked her, are you okay? She replied, yeah, I'm okay. I realized I didn't have time to stop and saw you were turning left, so I tried to go around you on the right side by the sidewalk. At the last moment, you changed your mind and pulled to the right, so I hit your car. I said, you missed us by passing on the left. And then I got confused as I didn't know how to explain. No, I didn't miss you. I hit your car, but didn't mean to. Are you okay? With a concerned look on her face. I did change my mind because I saw you were going fast and decided to pull to the right. I watched a lady in the blue Tahoe wearing scrubs pass me on my left. If it wasn't you, it sure looked like you. While staring at me, she yells, There are no other cars. Have you been drinking? This is where the world started to spin. I was disoriented and sat down on the sidewalk. My girlfriend by now was out of the car and asking, Are you right? And the lady asked her, Have you guys been drinking? He's talking about another Tahoe and missing you. My girlfriend says, It did miss, but you didn't. The lady yells, There are no other cars. Are you guys fucking with me? She starts to look frightened and says, I'm going to get my insurance information for you guys. The cops won't come and investigate in the snows. We'll just have to figure the insurance companies out. And she left and came back shortly with some information written on a piece of paper. She then says, I'm I'm sorry. You guys are okay. I've got to go. She gets in her car and drives off. I told my girlfriend, we need to go inside and call the police for filing a report. She nods and we go inside. And she asks, what do we tell the police? I tell her, we're just telling them the accident happened. They'll tell us to come down and file the report tomorrow. So I called and talked to the dispatcher and let her know that we were rear-ended and had the lady's information that hit us. She told us, if everybody's okay, then you can come on down and fill out the report when the roads are clear. I thanked her and hung up. My girlfriend this whole time was just standing there and staring at nothing. And I asked, are you feeling okay? She tells me, I mean, my head kind of hurts. I'm going to go lay down. I say, wait, what the hell happened? I want to talk about this. She doesn't even look at me and just says, we can talk tomorrow. I'm going to bed now. I'm confused and frustrated, but no better. Uh, Okay, we can talk tomorrow. I spent a while sitting in the kitchen replaying everything, and each time everything is the same. No differences in memories or explanations. I wasn't feeling very good either, so I decided to go sleep as well. The next morning when I woke up, my girlfriend was in the kitchen cooking breakfast. How are you feeling? I asked. She replied, Just a little sore, but nothing else. I'm looking at her and she's acting like normal. And I ask, what the hell happened last night? I can't figure out how some Tahoe missed us and then hit us at the exact same time. She shook her head at me and says, I don't want to talk about it. We got in an accident and we must have been in shock. Everything's fine and normal. I'm amazed as we typically seem to be on the same page. What the hell are you talking about normal? It is not normal to be hit by a car that just missed you. 
She comes completely unhinged. She starts screaming at me. I told you I'm not talking about it. She leaves the kitchen and grabs her keys. I'm leaving. And she's heading out the front door. I tell her, wait, something happened and I just don't understand. She turns around and says, no, it didn't. And then she slams the door. I ran outside to get her, but she was already backing out of the driveway. I'm super confused and things started getting dizzy again. I figure I'll let her cool off and we can talk about it later when she comes back from wherever. I go back inside and sit down and wait. A few hours later, she comes back home along with a friend and I ask, how are you? She says, a little sore, but doing all right. I ask her friend, did she tell you what happened? Her friend states, yeah, you guys got in an accident and your car's fucked up. I was looking at them both and I say, no, I mean, the other part about the Tahoe? Her friend shakes her head no. My girlfriend freaks out and starts screaming. Everything is normal and there's literally nothing going on. We got hit and you're acting crazy. I'm out of here. We have to go. As I'm sitting there trying to piece together yet again what is going on, she goes to the bedroom. Her friend is staring at me and looking at the bedroom door. She says, I I don't know what's wrong with you, but you heard her. We're leaving and walks into the bedroom. She comes out of the room with the bag of her things and her friend a few minutes later. I tell her, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to stress you out. I'm just trying to make sense of last night. She looked at me and was about to say something, but shrugs and walks out the door. The next day, her friend shows up with her boyfriend. We're here to get her things. She doesn't want to talk to you and says she hopes you'll respect her and leave it alone. Once again, things start to get dizzy and I take a seat. Her friend's boyfriend sits down and says, Look, I don't want problems with you, but your girl's really upset. Just be cool and we'll be out of here shortly. They packed up her things and left. I tried calling her and her phone was disconnected. I contacted her family to ask if she was okay and her dad says, I heard the whole story and she says she doesn't need your crazy shit. Lose our number and leave my daughter alone. And he then hangs up. I never heard from her again. I'm okay with it. Just wish she would have given me a chance to discuss what happened. I care more about what happened that night than I do about the relationship with her. Hope that doesn't come across too harsh. Anyways, that's the story to the best of my recollection. I still have no explanation other than a glitch that ruined my car and relationship. I had just recently purchased my house and my old washer and dryer wouldn't fit. Plus they sucked and my wife hated using them. So she sent me on a mission to buy a new set. I didn't do my research and as I'm standing in the Lowe's appliance department coming to grips with what I'm up against, my contractor neighbor walked up behind me. He helped me pick out the exact units I was going to purchase. I bought them and then life got weird for a few minutes. When I got to the truck with my two large boxes, 
There stands my neighbor, waiting for me. I thought he was just waiting to help me load them, but he just looked at the boxes and said something like, that's a gas dryer. We don't have gas. I bust his balls for a couple of minutes about helping me pick out the wrong units, and it was as normal an interaction as I could have had. I went inside to do the return walk of shame on the items I literally never even left the parking lot with, and my neighbor walked to his truck. I'm at the return counter, and the girl behind the register asked me my name. I told her and handed her my receipt from five minutes prior while explaining the situation. And without even looking up, she says again, Name? I tell her my name a second time, and she says nothing while typing into the computer. In comes my neighbor to the return desk with a gallon of paint. He waits in line behind me, saying nothing. And the girl behind the register looks me up and down and says, Name, sir? I tell her my name for a third time, pointing to the receipt on the counter and try to explain the situation again. She types into the computer some more and, for what was probably a solid minute, says nothing at all. Another girl at the return desk finishes with another customer and comes over to help. The new girl says to me, while they both stare into the computer screen, Name? A fourth time, I give them both my name. And without taking their eyes off of the screen, the new girl says, And I shit you not. I'm sorry, sir, but you don't exist. I got sort of lightheaded after she said that because I was already thinking how strange this was. I said back, Don't exist or I'm not in your system. Without answering me, the second girl says to my neighbor, Sir, I can help you over here, and moves to the next register. And as my neighbor walks past me, and without another word to me, returns his paint and walks out the door. Then, almost as if nothing weird had happened, the first girl just says my name. Here's your return. You'll have to purchase the new ones, and we'll refund you for the ones you mistakenly purchased. Without even going back to appliances. There behind me stands a guy with the units I needed on a dolly, ready to help me buy and load them into my truck. My neighbor was gone, but when I asked him about it, he didn't think there was anything weird about the whole thing. I, on the other hand, had an existential crisis and only barely managed to hold it together. I understand it's in people's nature to disbelieve me, but it happened exactly like I said. I'm not going to argue in the comments, so take it as you will. If I was going to fabricate a story, it would have had lasers and explosions, not a trip to Lowe's to buy a washer and a dryer. I've been a taxi driver for over 15 years now. It's not the most glamorous job, but I enjoy it nonetheless. I like the variety that comes with meeting new people every day. The stories they tell, the accents, the distant homes they left behind, all part of the rich tapestry of life that unfolds before me, one fair at a time. But sometimes, some stories leave a lasting impression casting long shadows on your soul that even the morning sun struggles to erase. And this is one of those stories. 
It was a bitter winter night in Chicago. The city was caked in a layer of frost twinkling under the harsh glare of streetlights. Snow flurries pirouetted in the biting wind while the rest of the world seemed to hibernate. That's when I spotted him. A lone figure at the curb, hunched over, clad in a dark coat. A neon sign flickered above him, painting a spectral glow. I pulled over. He got in with a nod, and I was immediately struck by his pale countenance. His eyes were a vivid blue, almost luminescent in the dim light of the cab, and his face bore an otherworldly look of calm, as if he were detached from the frozen world outside. North Clark Street, please, he said in a soft voice. As we navigated the icy streets, he remained silent. Every so often, I would catch him staring out of the window, his reflection caught in the cold glass. I tried to strike up a conversation, you know, to break the monotony, but he just nodded or hummed in response, lost in his thoughts. As I took a turn around Astor Street, my cab's headlights momentarily illuminated a road sign, and I noticed something strange. This man's reflection in the rearview mirror was distorted, almost blurred around the edges, as if the light refracted strangely around him. An unsettling chill gripped me, but I shrugged it off, blaming it on the long shift and the winter's cold. We reached the address he had given, an old Victorian building that stood in stark contrast to the modern condo surrounding it. Its windows were dark, looking hollow against the snowfall, and the man handed me a crisp $100 bill, far too much for the ride. I tried to refuse, telling him it was way too much, but he insisted. Consider it a tip for your troubles, he said. That's when I saw it, his smile. It was hollow, not reaching his glacial eyes, more of a grimace than a sign of gratitude. Just as he was about to get off, he turned around and said, you'll see me again soon. It wasn't a request or a statement. It was a promise, said with a chilling certainty that made my skin crawl. I watched as he disappeared into the building, leaving me alone with the humming engine and my swirling thoughts. That night, I lay awake in bed, his last words echoing in my mind, his icy gaze imprinted on my retinas. Little did I know that I was just at the beginning of my journey into the inexplicable Unbeknownst to me, the passenger who wasn't there had left a phantom presence in my cab, and my life was about to make a surreal turn. The following nights were a blur of faces and faces. However, none of them bore the eerie calm of my spectral passenger. Yet his presence lingered in my cab, like a whisper of cold wind that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I'd often find the rearview mirror slightly askew, the icy gaze of those blue eyes seeming to haunt its reflection. It was nearly a week later when he reappeared. Same spot, same frosty evening, same ethereal calm about him. Back to North Clark Street, please, he said, his voice barely above a whisper, yet somehow resonating above the city's noise. This time, I was more observant. 
I noticed how the city lights seemed to pass through him, casting no shadow on his face. How his breath didn't fog up the cold window pane, as if he was devoid of life's warmth. Once again, his distorted reflection in the rearview mirror unsettled me. The man sitting in the back seat of my cab was clearly not of this world, or at least not as we know it. We reached the same Victorian house, the silence only interrupted by the drone of the cab's engine and the occasional distant well of a siren. He handed me another $100 bill, his icy fingers brushing against mine, sending a shiver down my spine. And this time he didn't say anything. He merely nodded, a silent acknowledgement of our strange companionship before disappearing into the darkness. For weeks, the cycle continued. The spectral passenger would hail my cab every few nights, always at the same spot, asking to be driven to the same address. His presence was a very cold void, his existence an enigma. I felt an uncanny connection with him, bound by our silent nocturnal journeys. One day, curiosity got the better of me, and I decided to explore the Victorian building. In broad daylight, it didn't seem as ominous. It was just an old building, a relic from the past. However, as I approached the front door, my heart pounded in my chest. The house bore an air of desolation. Its empty windows stared back at me like hollowed-out eyes. I rang the doorbell, half expecting no one to answer. But to my surprise, a frail old woman opened the door. Her eyes, faded with age, looked surprised to see a visitor. I explained about the man that I'd been dropping off at this address for weeks, describing his vivid blue eyes, his icy demeanor. Her reaction was not what I anticipated. Her face turned ashen. Her hands trembled as she gripped the door for support. Her next words left me colder than any Chicago winter night. That sounds like my son, Edward. But that can't be, she stammered. Edward's been dead for five years. Her words hit me like a freight train. Dead? For five years? Yet I've been driving this Edward around for weeks now. The old woman Mary invited me in, her hands still trembling, and we sat in a room filled with aged furniture and framed photos. One of them caught my eye. A man with vivid blue eyes, Edward. As Mary recounted her story, I learned that Edward had been an adventurous soul, always seeking the thrill of the unknown. Tragically, he'd lost his life in a mountaineering expedition, his body never found. In his memory, Mary had preserved his room as it was. She hadn't stepped outside the house much since then, living with her son's phantom in her heart. Suddenly, the past weeks started making an eerie sense. The man with no breath, the unexplainable chill, this distorted reflection, and his strange assertion that I'd see him again. I'd been a taxi driver for the spectral passenger who wasn't there, for Edward. That night, as the snow began to fall again, I found myself waiting at the same spot. The neon sign buzzed overhead, the cold wind howling through the deserted streets, and just like clockwork, he appeared. In the rearview mirror, his ghostly figure was a blur, but his eyes shone with the same intensity. 
and this time I drove in silence, his destination already known. I pulled up in front of the Victorian building, its silhouette looming in the night. As Edward handed me the $100 bill, I held on to his cold hand, and looking him in the eye, I said, I met your mother today, Edward. He paused, his icy gaze meeting mine, and then for the first time, I saw an emotion in them. Surprise, followed by a profound sadness. He didn't utter a word, just nodded, his ghostly figure fading as he walked towards his house. And that was the last time I saw Edward. His spectral presence vanished from my cab, and I was left with just the memory of those cold winter nights. I continued to drive through the city, a silent observer of life and its countless stories. Every so often, I'd pass by the old Victorian house. Each time, I could see Mary through the window, a silent figure living in the world of memories. And in my heart, I would thank Edward for a reminder. A reminder that sometimes we taxi drivers are more than just a ride home. We are the keepers of stories, living and beyond, conduits for those seeking a way back, even if for a fleeting moment. We are the companions to the passengers who are and to those who aren't there. This all began as a project for school. I was going to create a history of my town by recording interviews with older residents. I did a couple of these to start off with, speaking to a former teacher at my school and a retired hotel doorman. The teacher was Miss Turney, a widow for a decade in her 75th year. She spoke a lot about the way the education system was a lot better in her time and some of her pupils who'd gone on to do great things. The doorman's name was Mr. Watkins, and he was 89. He made the hotel sound like a glamorous place, and he told me some really interesting stories about the people who used to stay there. He also said how he was sad when he had to retire because of his age, and even sadder when the hotel finally closed its doors for the last time 20 years ago. The interviews were great, but I decided they needed something extra to make them more attention-grabbing. So I found music from way back that was copyright free and was going to add recordings of ambient sounds from the streets and the buildings that the interviewees were talking about. I'd mix it all up into a package. It was going to be awesome. Then something happened which threw everything off track and I ended up submitting a completely different project. You see, I heard strange sounds in the background of one of the ambient recordings. Sounds which eventually led me to some pretty dark places. That was a few years ago. I'm at university now, but I've kept the original file, and I've decided, after a lot of thought, to share what's on it here. The sound file was recorded in the lobby of the hotel Mr. Watkins had worked in. The hotel was derelict by then and empty apart from some broken furniture and piles of litter and leaves that must have drifted in. 
I had sneaked in by forcing a gap in the boarded-up doorway and was pretty sure I wasn't meant to be in there. I was feeling very nervous. That's why the first thing on the recording is the sound of my breathing. It's loud, so I came close to hyperventilating. Then I can be heard saying to myself, Relax, dude. I take another deep, slow breath. I remember thinking how this would help me calm down and how it worked. The next sound is the building creaking. It was late November and there was a storm outside. I was pretty windswept myself and I guess the fabric of the old place was struggling in the gales. And then there's the first of the strange sounds. It's like the wind had gotten inside of the building and was moving through the litter and the leaves. The second strange sound is longer. The third is drawn out even more. Both, again, make me think of the wind, of a restless, eerie force. And then there's my footsteps as I leave the hotel. The recording ends here. I listened to the recording for the first time in my bedroom back at home and felt a coldness pass through me. I'd heard the noises when I was there on my own, standing in the lobby, but they hadn't really stood out to me at the time. But listening to the recording, they chilled me to the bone. I was gripped. I listened to the recording repeatedly, long into the night, and about 4 a.m., I finally heard this. The first sound is actually a voice saying, please, it's a girl's voice. The second sound is her saying, please help me. The third sound is her again. She's saying, I just want my Millie, please. The more I listened to the recording, the more I became convinced that this was what had been captured. I didn't sleep at all that night, and the next day at school, I couldn't focus on any of my lessons, partly because I was exhausted, but more because all I could do was think about the voice on the recording. What was it? I wondered as my mind raced, how was it possible? I'd been completely on my own in the derelict lobby. It was a mystery to me, and one I was determined to get to the bottom of. I decided the best place to start would be by going back to the doorman, Mr. Watkins, and asking him if the words on the recording meant anything to him. He lived in a care home for the elderly and was looking even frailer than when I had interviewed him. He shook my hand in an old-fashioned way and smiled at me and invited me to take a seat. I settled into the armchair opposite him and told him what had happened. And then I asked him, was there a Millie at the hotel? Perhaps like on staff or a regular guest? And when I did this, everything changed. The smile disappeared off of his face and he wouldn't even look at me in the eye. And then he started shouting for one of the carers, started saying how I was bothering him and they needed to make me leave. I was hustled out of there double quick. I don't mind telling you I was pretty upset by this whole experience and confused. I'd clearly upset him and I'd wished I knew how I could make things better. The possibility of solving the mystery of the recording also felt to have diminished. With all this playing on my mind, school days kept coming around and weekends that dragged and 
I started to wish I'd never been to the hotel. In fact, I decided a couple of weeks after seeing the doorman for the second time, I was going to delete the file and forget about the whole lousy experience. And then the letter came. The address was handwritten and inside there was a brief note wrapped around another piece of paper. The note said that sadly, Mr. Watkins had passed away in his sleep and that before he died, he had requested that the enclosed letter be passed on to me. My hands were shaking as I unfolded the letter. And this is what it said. Quote, I've carried a secret around with me for a long time now. It's something I'm ashamed of and that has made me hate myself, though many, a long, sleepless night. I thought this would never change and I'd take my secret to the grave. But then you came along. I enjoyed meeting you the first time and I was happy to talk about the old times at the hotel, the good times. Then when you came to see me again, the things you said, it was like someone had taken a knife and cut me open to reveal the secret I had buried inside of me. You see, the name Millie does mean something to me. It was the name of a doll that was owned by a young woman who I knew more than 60 years ago. She was a woman, not a girl, and many folk would have said that she was way, way too old to still be walking about clutching a doll to her. But this young woman was troubled. She was skinny as a rake and wore rags and lived on the streets near the hotel. One winter, back in 59, there was a particularly vicious winter. Predictions were the night ahead would be the worst and lives would be lost. I knew this young woman's life was in danger if she was left out on the street, so I told her she could shelter in the hotel if she wanted to. I did this without telling any of the management. Their only concern was making money and attracting an even better class of guest. But I was brought up to believe in compassion. The only place I had for her was in a storage room. It was a little more than a cupboard, really. But she seemed happy enough to curl up in there and go to sleep with that doll of hers hugged tight. I felt good for having helped protect this fragile creature. And that could have been that. The night passed and she could have left and there would have been no trouble. Only one of the front desk staff, who had aspirations to be a boss, found the girl fast asleep in the storage room and yelled for the managers. This was just before I started my shift, and when I turned up for work, I saw there was a commotion in the hotel lobby. The young woman was in there. Tears were streaming down her face, and she was shouting over and over for help, for her Millie. Somehow, she'd been separated from her doll, but the managers didn't care. They dragged her out into the street and left her sobbing and still begging for her Millie. It broke my heart, and I went searching for her and the doll so I could return it to her. There was no trace of it in the storage room, and I couldn't ask around because the managers were in a rage and threatening to fire whatever had let the woman into the hotel. So I left it. I turned my back. A few days later, I heard the young woman's body had been found by the side of the road. She'd been struck by a vehicle, and they'd kept on driving as if she'd had no worth. She was buried in the city cemetery with no headstone and no service and I could never find where she'd been laid to rest. Could I have done more to help her when she was alive? Yes. Should I have done more to help her? Yes. But I didn't. I was too scared of losing my job. You're only a kid, and a good kid, it strikes me from the couple of times we've met. 
so I don't want to pass my burden on to you, but I think you've a right to the truth as I know it. As for the voice that you claim to hear on your recording, I have no explanation that can be set out in a reasoned way, but now I have calmed down and had a chance to think, and I wonder perhaps there is a way that things can be set right. If you receive this letter, and you can forgive me for the way I treated you, perhaps you could come see me again and we can talk. The letter was signed, Yours in Hope, William Watkins. After I finished reading it, I put my head in my hands and cried myself to sleep. When I woke, I finally thought I understood what was happening. I appreciate a lot of people might dismiss this as nonsense, and I'm worried to let anyone else listen to the recording in case all they hear is a wind in a derelict building. But I believed then, and I believe now, that I had recorded the voice of a ghost, that of a young woman. Back then, as I sat there rubbing sleep from my eyes and wishing Mr. Watkins hadn't died before I had a chance to see him again, I also knew what I had to do next. I threw cold water onto my face, got wrapped up in my warmest coat, and went back to the hotel. I once more slipped in through the broken, boarded-up doorway and began to search. I didn't record anything this time. I just rushed from empty room to empty room, Dust was thrown up everywhere, and dozens of spiders scuttled across the floor as I disturbed them. There was a small space that looked like it could have been the storage room Mr. Watkins had told me about in this letter, but it was as bare as the rest of the place. Then, just as I was giving up hope, I saw a stack of boxes tucked away in a corner. I opened one and found scarves and gloves and umbrellas. Another box had fancy-looking crockery in it and another old, glossy business and lifestyle magazines. I figured these were all things that had been gathered up as the hotel was closing and were meant for disposal, but no one had ever gotten around to it. I opened the last box, and my heart did a little leap of joy. There was a doll in it. The paint on its face was faded and cracked in places, and its dress was crumpled and dirty. I lifted it out of the box and said, "'Hey, Millie.' It's nice to meet you. Then I tucked the doll into my coat and left the hotel. It was two bus rides and a long walk to get to the city cemetery. It was a rundown place. Some of the headstones were lying on the ground and there were weeds everywhere. It was quiet. I could only see a few people over the other side of the cemetery. But I was still nervous that someone would see me and ask what I was doing. I knelt down with my hands, scooped out earth from a patch of open ground and I took the doll out of my coat pocket and placed it into the hole I had made. I gently covered it with the loose soil and closed my eyes. I thought of the young woman and told her that Millie was here now and they could be together again. I got to my feet, brushed soil from my jeans and walked slowly out of the cemetery. I felt sad but also okay. I had done the right thing. As far as I could see, and I hope Mr. Watkins would have felt the same way. Now there was only one more thing to do. I returned to the hotel lobby for the final time and made a recording. I listened to it when I was back home. And all I could hear on the recording of the lobby was silence. There was no wind, no voice, no spirits hurting. There was peace. It was over.
Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you liked a little mix up of the fiction and nonfiction. And don't forget, if you really liked the nonfiction, no sleep stories to check out the author's page. They're wonderful and talented and support their writing, show them some love and let them know that you enjoyed their writing. And you can click the link in my description to go to their Reddit page and to see more content. And don't forget if you are enjoying this podcast and love this episode to let me know and to show me some love by rate reviewing and subscribing. I know I say it a lot, but it does make a huge difference in the show and it is how other people discover my show. So if you have a friend, of course, share it. And I'm also on social media on Instagram, blame it on the aliens podcast. And if you have your own story that you would like to share, you can either send me a voice memo by clicking the link for the voice memos in my description. Or if you just would rather type it out and me read it, you can email it to blame it on the aliens one at gmail.com. And I would love to read any of your, any of your content, like any of your personal stories or just any feedback you guys have about the podcast in general. So I'm excited to get back into this weekly and I'm looking forward to next week, more scary stories. And as always, if you can't explain it, blame it on the aliens, baby.